Still got some people enjoying the sunshine outside, just having a chat in the car park. So uh, hopefully they'll come in. <laughs> Rocker. Um, we will be obviously we will be uh, in the in the service today. We will be including uh, a little bit of reflection um, on on the life of the Queen, an opportunity for prayer. Um, but obviously, with the funeral being uh, for the Queen being on Monday, the nineteenth of uh, September, uh, to allow people to watch that service at home because um, we don't have a TV license here anymore. Um, there won't be there won't be a coffee stop on on Monday the 19th. There is coffee stop tomorrow, so come tomorrow, but don't come on the 19th because we won't be meeting. Uh, we'll encourage everyone to watch the service at home uh, on the 19th at 11 o'clock. Um, just before we get into uh, thinking, reflecting on the life of the Queen and her faith, uh, just a few exciting things coming up to encourage you to attend. Um, we've ordered good weather for this, but for the, on the 24th of September, from 2 o'clock to 5.30 in the front car park of the church just out there, and it's going to be a sunny day, on the 24th of September, we have a barbecue. So please invite your friends, neighbours, family members to come along. It's free, and uh, we will be inviting the local community to come and share in that as well. Great opportunity to... Uh, Tell, tell people about Alpha and all that we do uh, as a church. Um, I don't really want to share any more notices. Um, just, uh, just to uh, sort of reflect a little bit on the, the, the life of, of uh, Queen Elizabeth. Um, just this was an image that I'm sure mo a lot of you saw on, on the television, which was really, really quite striking, wasn't it? Um, I think the reporters didn't really know what to say about this, but I think for those of us who know Christ, it was kind of a miraculous moment, wasn't it? As soon as the announcement was made, we had this beautiful arc of a rainbow. And of course, in, in the Bible, the rainbow reminds us of God's covenant with Noah and with all mankind that never again would he flood and destroy the earth. And it was just a reminder of God's faithfulness and of the everlasting nature of faith isn't it that the queen goes on passes on from this life but passes on to eternity in heaven with with god who is everlasting and then i was just uh, on facebook i happened to come across this uh, christmas message from uh, 2021 from last year uh, i don't know whether you can see that but i'm just going to read out this is some of the words about her own faith that she shared in last, last Christmas. Jesus, whose teachings have been handed down from generation to generation and have been the bedrock of my faith, his birth marked a new beginning. As the carol says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That was the faith of our queen. And we, we give thanks that the king, King Jesus that the queen knew, is the same King Jesus that we know as Christians. And we give thanks for the hope that is ours in Christ of an everlasting kingdom. Um, there is one King who reigns forever, and that King is Jesus. And in Isaiah chapter 9, it says that his kingdom will know no end. He is from everlasting to everlasting, the Prince of Peace, 
is his name. Um, I came across uh, a prayer um, from uh, the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity that I just wanted to, uh, us to pray this morning. So I'm going to pray this. So please, uh, let's just be quiet. And uh, we're gonna use, I'm going to use these words to pray for uh, the family and for King Charles III. Seems strange saying that, doesn't it? But let's, uh, let's come before God in prayer. Lord, we thank you that our queen served you as her king. Thank you that her majesty recognized your supreme majesty as Lord and savior throughout her 70 years of reign. And as the UK, the Commonwealth and the world send their tributes and look back with thankfulness, we particularly thank you for her Christian witness and her role as defender of the faith. Thank you that this was so clearly more than an inherited duty for her that she confidently commended following Jesus so many times throughout her reign, including so consistently in her Christmas messages. Lord, thank you that our queen was also our sister in Christ, that her faith carried her throughout her days and now beyond to be with you forever. We pray for those who were closest to the queen, those who must mourn publicly and adjust to new roles immediately. We pray for King Charles III and the queen consort and other members of the royal family. Please comfort them, guide them today and each day, and assure them of your presence. And we pray for all of us. Give us sensitivity to recognize that this will affect us all to different degrees and in different ways. Comfort us with the hope of Christ. Be with all who grieve and help us to follow the Queen's example, confidently pointing to Jesus and our eternal hope in you, in the way we live and the words we say. We pray that the Queen's legacy would overflow into and through many lives as we follow her example of Christ-like service and humility. Unchanging God, as we mourn the King who represented stability, please give us now all peace and courage for today and the future, whatever it may bring. Amen. It just seemed appropriate to begin with singing uh, Amazing Grace. Uh, the Queen... Um, believed and found that amazing grace in Christ. And so as a celebration of her faith and our faith, um, let's stand and sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound.
saved wretches like us that is uh, something we will never be able to understand but uh we just pray lord that as we as we sing truth this morning about about where we're going after we die to be with you forever that you would fill us with joy because that's what it'll be it'll be pure unbridled joy lord so let's uh let's sing this next hymn with confidence and with joy because uh, thine be the glory Yeah. 
Imagine. 
emotion suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south
let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Lord Jesus, that's our heart's cry this morning that you would be magnified in us, that our whole lives would be to your praise and glory. Oh, Jesus, be exalted in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and exalt and magnify and lift up Jesus among us, we pray. For in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We have a Alpha course coming up soon, and uh, I'm going to hand over to Mark, who's going to lead this part. Hi, everyone. Um, Alpha, I, I'm sure most of you have heard of Alpha. Yeah, we, we've done Alpha regularly here once or twice a year for the past few years. And we've got the next course starting on the 27th of September. It's a Tuesday night. It starts at 7 o'clock. You might have noticed posters similar to this um, around the place. There are invites over on the reception desk. So um, please invite friends. And in a moment, I'm going to ask Pete to tell you why. But you'll have also seen this on the back of the weekly sheet because it's a really good question. Who will you invite? Because Alpha only works if we invite people. Yeah, I can sit there and I can do the best talks. Um, but if there's no one there to listen, it's completely pointless. Yeah. yeah. So, Pete, can you just come and tell us a little bit about your experience of Alpha and, um, yeah, encourage? morning um, so the first hymn this morning resonated with me and when I think about my life three years ago versus my life today and I was blind but now I see and I think that's a really relevant um, or you know topical point when we talk about alpha and the difference it can make in people's lives so um, I had to write some things down so it's amazing how at work I can stand in front of 3,000 people and talk off the top of my head, but when I'm stood here, for some reason, I, uh, I, uh, you know, in front of Christ, I feel a little more nervous. So it's, um, so I made some notes. So what does the official website say about Alpha? So Alpha is a series of sessions exploring the Christian faith, typically run over 11 weeks. Each week looks at different question, a different question around faith and is designed to create conversation. Alpha is run all around the globe and everyone is welcome. To me, when I read that, it just doesn't do it justice. For me, it was way more than that. So firstly, Mark and Carol are perfect to run the course. So I think people that don't come to church have a perception of what people at church might be like. 
and I can't say Mark and Carol are normal because if you, <laughs> because if you know them, they're not. <laughs> but they're really welcome, opening, humble, non-judgmental, and just people that you can feel open and, and safe uh, and safe around. So, firstly, that was uh, that was the big thing for me. Secondly, it was a safe environment to ask the questions that probably were holding me back from unlocking my belief in in faith. So, you know, things like why do such horrible things happen in the world? Why are so many people suffering from starvation and so on? You know, having those conversations for me really helped break down the barriers and helped me find my way into faith. And thirdly, I met some incredible people and lifelong friends. So from my view, it's the perfect introduction. For me, it was the perfect introduction back into church life. <laughs> and now you even get a hot meal cooked to you each week. So if, there's, if, there's, if, there's, if you needed another cell, there's one. And it might even be me cooking at some uh, sometimes. So I'm not sure I can say anything else. I'm certainly challenging myself to bring one person along on week one and just imagine what we could do if everybody managed to, to bring somebody along, the difference it would make to, uh, to the church and the difference it would make to people's lives. So thank you very much. Thank you, Pete and Mark, for that. It's great, exciting stuff. Um, we're going to take up the offering. Um, please, and uh, the children are going to leave us for creche and uh, group, so we'll pray for the offering and for the children. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the money in this plate is not ours but it's, we are merely stewards of all that you have given us. And so, Jesus, we give back that which you already own to you. But, Lord, we want to set aside this money and say that this is for your kingdom, locally, nationally, and globally. Lord, it's, it never was our money. Lord, it was always yours, because the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the fullness of of everything is yours. So Lord, we give back to you that which you've already given to us, that which you own, but as an expression of our thanksgiving. And Lord, we pray that you would multiply and bless this money so that your kingdom would grow and increase across the earth. Jesus, where there are people struggling in poverty, we pray that you would bring equality and justice, both locally, nationally, and globally. Lord, we pray as we journey through this service today, that as we listen to your word and as we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Release a spirit of generosity in us, Lord, we pray. Just like to give a, a time of, of open prayer uh, for us this morning to respond to uh, the passing of our, of our queen as appropriate. And uh, if you'd like to pray on Zoom, please unmute and share. If you'd like to pray in here, please put your hand up and Tony will come with the microphone so that you can be heard by everyone. So let's move into a time of open prayer um, as the Spirit leads. So please pray as God leads you.
Lord Jesus, I was just mindful this morning that this world is a beautiful place, Lord. Mm. Mm. And you left this creation for us to enjoy, but also to look after. And I was just thinking, Lord, that more than that, to look after your creation, you wanted your disciples to spread the word about your love for them to people everywhere, Lord. And just thinking about the message that the Queen constantly gave, Lord, she was a tremendous witness for you with a huge platform to stand from. I just thank you and praise you for all that she did and all that she gave. And just pray for her family now and the country as they grieve, Lord. Mm. But more than that, again, Lord, just thinking about this upcoming um, Alpha course, Lord, there are people in our community who need to hear this message today, Lord. Mm. It is your message of hope and salvation, and everyone needs to hear it. And as Pete said, wouldn't it be amazing if everyone invited someone? Yes. And so, Lord, I just lift up this course to you, Father, this Alpha course, and pray that it would be blessed with so many people that Mark and Carol really would not know what to do with them all. Mm. It would Amen. just be fabulous. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. The word of the Israelites that came to Jeremiah, from the time that the fathers came out of Egypt, I have persistently sent my prophets to you, but you did not listen. Your stubborn will is worse than your father's. If you will not listen, I will curse your life. Return to me and I will return to you. Bring your tithes to the full and I will rebuke the destroyer and replenish your lands. People will then see that the Lord has blessed you. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Oh, Father God, we just pray for our new king. Yeah. Lord, we know that he's taken on the role of defender of the faith, but we don't mm. really know what his, what his faith is, where his heart is. So we just pray, Father, that he will just be inspired by his mother's faith. And also, Lord, that you would really reveal yourself to him in a mighty way yeah. so that he too um, just becomes a, a strong believer and uses that same platform that the Queen did. Mm. And Father, we just think of the royal family and I just pray, particularly this morning, for reconciliation between those two brothers, William and Harry. And Lord, I pray for families everywhere, where there is division, where there is confrontation, where there is non-communication. Lord, we just pray for reconciliation yeah. in families, maybe families known to us or families not known to us. But Lord, we lift them to you and ask that you bring them together. Mm. In Jesus' name, yeah. amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray that um, you, as King Charles III takes up his new role as king, mm. that you um, that you'll give him wisdom. Yes. Um, that as he represents you, while he represents our country and he unifies our country. Lord, I pray for the family um, of the royal family with this obviously um, devastating death for them and that they'll always remember that the Queen is now with you and that yes. the real King, the great King above all the world is, mm. of course, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I pray that as we go on forward with the cost of living, with the war in Ukraine, that you'll bless this country and that you'll bless us and um, help us. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.
Liz Truss and uh, as Prime Minister and, and our new King have only been in, in place for, for a few days. And so we ask for, for wisdom too for her Lord and for her cabinet and mm. indeed for the, the whole government um, in these challenging times, these times uh, that are so new for them to, to deal with. Mm. We ask Lord that your will will be done mm. in, in that place yes. and uh, yeah. across this nation. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. Lord, while the focus of some people may be on the Queen and the life she led, I pray to that people's focus will be on you, Lord, yeah. and that her example will open the hearts of many to your wonders. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes, Lord. Lord, as we read your word from the book of Malachi, we thank you, Lord, that this is a living word that has power to speak into our lives and hearts today. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, as the word is read out and proclaimed, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts, give us understanding, give us wisdom, and help us, Lord, to not just be hearers of your word, but doers, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our uh, series in uh, the prophet Malachi, and uh, today we've got to Malachi chapter 3, and uh, verses uh, 6 to 12. Um, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are also under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. We put up the uh, PowerPoint, Carol. Thank you, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Just, uh, there we go. So I've called this God's generosity because uh, uh, oh, that's really the focus of, of what I wanna speak about really, because if you don't start with God and his generosity, you won't understand why we should be generous. It won't make sense to you. Um, so the generosity of God, 
There is an assumption in our culture that if you have earned it, you deserve it, and it's yours to do with it as you choose. That would be a kind of cultural mantra. Um, there, is, there is that uh, ethic of uh, doing good with, with our money. So every year, even in testing times, we have fundraising such as children in need. Um, we have television appeals for aid in various countries for emergency disaster relief. And people, particularly in our nation, are generally very generous in responding uh, to those kind of appeals, aren't they? Um, amazing how much is raised every year. But giving in secular culture is seen as a choice and it relies entirely on human, human compassion. Now there is built into all human beings uh, a compassion, a desire to do justice. Um, because we are made in the image of God, all human beings, there is a sense of justice and of compassion. And that's why we see an outpouring of generosity in these uh, appeals. But Christian giving is based on a very different philosophy. It's not just humanitarian aid. It's not just about justice and equality. It is based on the truth that everything on the earth belongs to God. Um, even our ability to earn money in a job is a gift from God. Did you know that? That the gifts you've been given as an engineer or a computer technician or a teacher or a lecturer or a water consultant, water engineer, whatever you do, scientists, I'm looking out and I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to stop there because I'm going to miss so many people out. Everything you do is a gift from God because the skills, the abilities, the gifts have all come from God. So our ability to even earn money is a gift. So everything is a gift. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, says the old King James. Do you remember that? Psalm 24 verse 1. We are stewards of the earth, aren't we? We don't own anything as Christians. That's, that's the teaching of scripture. We are tenants or stewards of everything that we have. That was how God created humans to live. God said, enjoy this creation and rule over it on my behalf. Look after it, tend it, care for it, cultivate it. He never told Adam and Eve they owned it. He told them to cultivate it. And so we are cultivators, gardeners, if you like, whether we are gardeners or not, we cultivate everything we have so that it bears fruit for God's kingdom. Okay, so we should hold money and possessions lightly as Christians. And we should be asking God constantly, how do you want me to use my money and possessions in the service of your kingdom? And the Bible teaches that our giving is a heart response of thanksgiving and worship and service 
to a generous God. Um, this is one of my um, favorite texts. This is what Paul says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus left the glory and majesty and riches of heaven and became a humble servant. He gave up all that he had so that we might become blessed with all the blessings of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? And you can read what those blessings are in Ephesians chapter 1. All the heavenly blessings are ours in Christ. So we give to God as a heart response of our worship and thanksgiving to his generosity to us in Christ. It's gospel motivated, isn't it? So we live on the other side of Jesus and the cross. In the Old Testament, they lived before the cross. And they were given laws about tithing. Um, if you don't know what a tithe is, tithe simply means a tenth. And Israel, the people of God, were required under the law to give a tenth, that's a 10%, of the produce of their land to the Lord. This was a reminder that everything they had in the land, their crops, their livestock, their land, their, their, everything they owned was a gift from God. They were stewards or tenants, not owners of everything they had. And so they were to give it gladly back to God to be used. And the tithe was used in three main ways. The tithe supported the full-time ministry of the priests and the Levites. That's those who worked in the temple in return for their service that they do. They had no, the, the Levites and the priests had no land of their own. And so they were supported by the tithes of the rest of the people of Israel. Um, and Paul applies this um, language about looking after Christian teachers and workers in the church. Um, that they should be compensated for their work. Um, this is not me saying this, by the way, in case you think a bit of a vested interest here. Yes, I declare vested interest, okay? This is what we have to do in charity meetings now in, because we have to talk about, you know, interests of, of people. Well, I have an interest in being paid. Mainly because it's biblical. Okay, so we find uh, Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy, the elders who direct the affairs of the church, well, are worthy of double honor. That's appreciation, but also the honor of being paid, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. The worker deserves his or her wages. Second, the tithe provided relief for the poor. So Deuteronomy, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows may come and eat and be satisfied. Immigrants, widows, orphans lacked the normal social network and support of family and friends. And so the tithes of Israel supported them. 
Okay. Likewise, in the New Testament, this is what James says we are to do. In case you think this is just Old Testament, has no application. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Here's James. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Wow. It's not enough to say, bless you, brother, sister. We'll pray for you. If we do nothing, useless. Faith must work itself out in action. Who are the vulnerable for us? Um, obvious in our local community. It's why we have food bank. It's why we do, let's do lunch, isn't it? It's why we give to the home mission fund. There are churches in our area who cannot afford ministry. I started out in a church that could only afford half a stipend. Rather than cut me in two, I received half of my stipend from other churches giving to home mission. So when we give to home mission, we are supporting other churches being able to afford ministry. So I am a massive supporter of home mission because that's how I was paid originally. And eventually the church could afford their own minister. BMS, Baptist Missionary Society. We have an appeal coming up uh, on the 25th. We'll be giving uh, to, to BMS, the Harvest Appeal. Tear Fund, all ways of supporting the worldwide church. Samaritan's Purse shoeboxes at Christmas. Giving and praying for open doors in supporting the persecuted church. Supporting and praying for and giving to ICON, the local Christian charity who work with young people in, in counselling and supporting them. There are so many ways that we as a church can and should give to the vulnerable, the poor, the orphans, the widows, the oppressed, right? Hello? So please read the news sheet because on there we've put an appeal for food bank. Food bank demand is increasing exponentially and we don't have enough food coming in to feed all the people, particularly in this cost of living crisis. Please, 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 please respond generously. On um, the 25th, when we have the harvest appeal, we'll be praying for the food bank contributions and blessing them and sending them out. Wouldn't it be great if we had so much that we had trouble fitting it on the stage? I'm believing that in faith. Let's bless with generosity our local community, shall we? Thank you. Thirdly, the tithe helped the community of Israel to pay for times of feasting and worshipping in the temple. When Israel came together for their festivals, they feasted and they worshipped but all of that required contributions of food. It costs something. Do you know it costs a lot of money to run the church? You can say, yeah, I know that. But it does. We don't just walk in here and it all happens. There's 
bills to pay. Talk to Paul, he'll tell you. You know about heating and gas, I don't need to tell you about that. There's people to pay, staff to pay. And in the same way in Israel, there was an infrastructure to upkeep. We have to invest in our buildings, improve them. We need the tithes, the contributions of our people to ensure the church grows and continues to function and is a, a means of sharing the gospel with the community. That does require money, doesn't it? Which is why Jesus teaches on money a lot in Luke's gospel. Anyway, back to the text. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were called to keep the law of tithing to ensure God's blessing on them. They were in a covenant relationship of blessings and curses. If they kept the law, including the law of tithing a tenth of their income back to God, which for them, being an agricultural society, was crops and sacrificial animals. For us, it'll be money, okay, in the main. If they kept their side of the covenant and kept God's laws, there would be blessing upon them. They would uh, be prosperous, there would be plentiful crops, they would have freedom from famine, disease and drought, and freedom from war. But if they failed to keep God's covenant laws, including tithing, they would incur the covenant curses of God. And those curses would be specific to Israel being an agricultural nation. Their crops would not be particularly productive. There would be disease, famine, drought, and foreign nations would, would be threatening them. And all of that was happening in the time of Malachi, wasn't it? There were covenant curses coming upon the nation because they were failing to keep the laws of God, including tithing. And God, through Malachi, tells the people that they are effectively robbing God of what's due to him by withholding their tithes. Listen to chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. They should have been giving their tithes so that the Levites and priests could be fed. The poor and the disadvantaged, the alien, the widow, the vulnerable could be supported so that the temple infrastructure could be supported and maintained. But they weren't giving the tithe so that the whole thing was collapsing. Their lack of generosity was incurring covenant curses rather than blessings. Now, immediately the question comes, how do we apply these ancient laws made to a small and ancient agricultural nation to the church today. You can't just draw a straight line from the Old Testament straight into the new and go, they did that, therefore we do this. That's just not careful handling of the text. Now I'm not justifying my theological education here and making things more complicated than they need to be. There is a skill in handling Old Testament and applying it to us. We have to apply it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Okay? And we have to look at what the New Testament tells us about these laws. Remember, of course, that uh, even before the law of tithing was given to Moses in Exodus, do you remember that Abraham tithed 
a tenth of his wealth to an ancient king of Jerusalem called Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. So tithing was built into creation before the law even came to Israel. So that kind of tells you something when you look at the biblical picture that maybe tithing a tenth of our income is a biblical pattern that goes right from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, right through to the end. That's a big clue, isn't it? If tithing was there before the Old Testament law, it's kind of a bit of a creation ordinance. That's a big clue. So look at the whole picture of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, right? Look at the Old Testament, look at the New, and see what the Bible says about the whole topic. Anyway, um, the only place tithing is mentioned explicitly in the New Testament is mentioned in uh, Hebrews in relation to Melchizedek. But Jesus speaks directly about tithing in uh, telling off the religious leaders. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, says Jesus, you should practice tithing, but the bigger issue is that your giving is not generated from a generous heart of compassion and mercy. Right? So there they are. Can you imagine them, you know, with their dill and mint and cumin from the spice cupboard? Everyone's got a spice cupboard, haven't they, at home? Spice rack, anybody? Some of you have even got, some of you got herbs and spices growing in the garden. Anybody? Hands up, come on. Bless you. We salute you. I'm always impressed with people with fresh herbs and spices. They're, they're, I'm in awe of them. Because we, we just buy the little bottles. But See, what the Pharisees were doing, they, they, they'd get their herbs and spices and then they'd chop up a tenth and they'd give that to God. And Jesus is saying, look, there's so much more that's important than this kind of nitpicking attitude to the law. You should be generous and compassionate towards the poor rather than nitpickingly following my laws. By all means, tithe, says Jesus, but do it with the right heart. Do it with a heart of generosity. So, I'm going to move quickly through these three points. There are principles in Scripture about guidelines for giving. I'm going to come down, by the way, in support of tithing, but not as you might think. Okay? Little enticement there. First principle, Christian giving is to be done freely and willingly. Paul teaches on giving to Corinthians a lot. He says this, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, see, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Generosity, according to Paul, is not a command to be kept so much as an attitude of the heart. Do you see the difference? In the new covenant, it's not about we must keep the law. It's about a generous heart that recognizes we've been so blessed by Christ that we can do nothing but be generous, right? Gospel motivated. 
Giving is a generous overflow of our hearts because we've been transformed by Christ's generosity to us. Listen to Paul again in verse 7 of chapter 9. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know in the Greek, it's hilarious, giver? (laughs) Hello? I'll tell you what, though. When you give to God and you see good being done in the name of Christ, that's a joy, isn't it? When those shoe boxes are opened and those children's faces light up, doesn't your heart leap? <laughs> when you serve in Let's Do Lunch and you see people coming to the counter and saying, that was great, that meal, thank you. Doesn't your heart leap with joy? When you give to food bank, don't you pray as you put that food in the box, Lord, bless this food, multiply it, that there might be needs met. Don't you? There's joy in giving. Second, on the first day of every week, it's today, right? Each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with the income, saving it up. Okay, most of us, not all of us, some of you still give in the plate. Thank you. Bless you. Keep doing it. Some of us give through our bank account directly. So you might say, well, if most people give through their bank account, why do we receive the plate? We receive the plate because it's a reminder of this, right? That we are to set aside on the Lord's day as part of our worship, we give back to God with generous hearts. We don't just worship by singing songs or praying prayers or standing up and sitting down in church. We worship with our money, right? We give back to God with generous hearts because he has given to us so generously in Christ. So we do it joyfully, cheerfully, hilariously. (laughs) It's appropriate then for us to pray for, to bless the offering. Here's where I come to tithing. All of the commentaries I've got on Malachi, and I've got about 10 or 12, every single one of them argue that tithing, 10% of our income to the church and mission is a basic minimum guideline. I couldn't find one that didn't say that. Why did they say that? It's not, it's not just, see, the reason I say this is because it's not just Martin on his own personal agenda, okay? Some of you think, well, that's Martin's view. Mm, I respect him, but I disagree. You're going to have to disagree with Christian theologians and commentators throughout history, okay? All of them would argue that on the basis of Genesis 14. Tithing was there, built into creation. But... This is what, for example, Ray Clenenden in the New American Commentary series says about tithing. The use of a tenth of our income should be considered an initial guideline for New Testament giving. Um, Now, I struggle with this originally. Years and years ago, I was a, a brand new teacher and I lived in Kent and I had to pay for my petrol. And it was a long drive. I had to drive 30 miles each each way to get to uh, Fanick, Broadstairs, from Canterbury, I think. No, Faversham, 
Faversham I was living, had to drive there and back, pay all the bills and rent. And it was all really expensive. And I wasn't on a big salary. Teachers aren't, and they weren't back then either. And I remember being at a prayer breakfast and um, I said, look, I don't think I can tithe. And somebody said, yeah, I used to think that. I said, look, I haven't got any money left at the end of the month. And the person said, yeah, I used to think that. And I said, oh, okay. So they said, you know, the commitment of tithing, they had found that God had always met their needs. And so I took a step of faith on that prayer breakfast and I started tithing. And do you know what? I've never not had enough. There were times that when me and Sarah were at college, when people would hand us a 20 pound note at the right time, when we couldn't fill up the car with petrol, we still tithed. Now, you might say, don't you know there's a cost of living crisis on? Yes, I do. But this is the word of the Lord. Okay. Um, Paul does not command believers in the New Testament to tithe their income to God's work. But surely no right thinking Christian would want to use this as an escape clause and an excuse to not be at least as generous as the old covenant believers. Just makes logical sense. If in the old covenant, before Christ came, people tithed, don't you think under the new covenant, where we've received so much more of the blessings of God, that tithing is not a minimum, not a minimum guideline? Uh, some of you don't look convinced. <laughs> but notice the sensitivity in Paul, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. Um, do you remember the, the widow at the temple? She only had two little coins. That was all she had, and she put it in the collection. She had nothing, but what she had, she gave, which is why she became an example of generosity to Jesus, who he, who he used. So 10% of virtually nothing isn't a lot, is it? Now, Paul doesn't say thou must tithe regardless, but he does say about proportionate giving in keeping with their income. Now, if in the cost of living crisis, there are people that genuinely are so hard pressed that they're getting into debt, Paul would not, would not want people to get into even more debt. In fact, you may even need some support. And we are here as the church to listen to that. So if you know of anybody in the church who needs support, please, please talk to me. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, just to make this clear. Oh, yeah, I've got the point, haven't I? <laughs> For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. You can't give what you don't have, right? So Paul is sensitive and compassionate to people who can't, tithe right but maybe we should for people who are really struggling we should, we should be helping them so that they can be like the widow and give a tiny amount so that they are giving back to god anyway moving on third principle and regular proportionate giving results in blessing for the giver and for those that receive 
uh, verse 10 to 12, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. For I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Then all the nations will call you blessed. So if they tithed, this is Israel, they would enjoy abundant vines and crops and there would be no pests. Now this is a blessing within an agricultural nation, all right? So we can't just apply this straight into our context. Most of us are not an agricultural nation, are we? We don't live in an agricultural nation. Somebody else does that for us. Most of us have real money that we deal with, don't we? Not just crops. However, some prosperity teachers have taught that if, they, if, if you sow seed, and they're using um, this kind of passage in 2 Corinthians, if you sow into their ministry, you will be blessed, is what they say. You will have your debts paid, your mortgage paid off. But this is a horrible distortion of Paul's teaching, isn't it? In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, which says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's not about, you know, it, as an end in itself, it's not about me getting my debts paid or about a blessing of finance on me. There is, it's a response to the gospel. <laughs> money is not, it's not the money is an end in itself. It's the glory of Christ. Um, interestingly, a couple of prosperity teachers, well, more than two, but I'll name two, Creflo Dollar of God TV and Benny Hinn, remember him? have repented of this kind of prosperity teaching and have come out and said, we were wrong. Wrong. The motivation to give generously is not that we can be blessed financially as an end in itself. It's so that the thanksgiving and glory would go to God. Listen to these blessings in 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God will bless you with the ability to give more money, right? But he'll bless you even more with joy and he'll bless you with thanksgiving and bless the ones who receive it with thanksgiving. That's a much bigger blessing than saying you can get your debts paid if you tithe into my ministry, which is false anyway. Paul goes on in verse 12. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What a blessing that is, isn't it? When people are blessed by God's people giving generously, whether persecuted Christians throughout the world, whether those children receiving shoeboxes, whether the local community in having a hot meal or receiving food bank food, whoever receives gives thanks to God. That's why we do it. It's what the word tells us. There it is. So please don't get taken in by prosperity teaching. It's false. It's damaging. So have you discovered the joy of giving? 
Why don't you test God in this and see if he doesn't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out his blessing on you as you give generously? That there be a harvest of thanksgiving in the church, locally, nationally, globally. Um, yeah, I'm going to say it. Speak to, if you don't give on a regular basis, why don't you speak to Paul, our treasurer, who's going to stand up right now so you can see who he is. There he is. What a fine figure of a man. Bless you, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> there are forms on the reception desk. If you don't give regularly, I'd encourage you. If you, if you can give through your bank account, fill out a gift aid form we can claim some of your tax back um, but if you give through the plate bless you keep doing it this is part of your worship to god this is the way we respond with thankfulness to a generous god and god if we give generously will release joy in us thanksgiving in us and he'll bring an abundant harvest to those that we serve through our giving let's pray lord would you release generosity in our hearts lord forgive us where we lack compassion move us lord to give generously to your work lord we want to be hilarious cheerful givers lord we don't want to give under compulsion lord we want to give as an overflow of joy because of what christ has given to us he made himself poor for our sakes that we might become rich by believing in him that we might inherit eternity so lord release generosity in your people and lord bless our community bless this church bless uh, the church nationally and bless the church internationally lord through the generous giving of your people here for we ask it in jesus name and for his glory amen sam you come and lead us in singing thank you So I stand and sing, this is my desire. This is my desire.
O Lord, have your way in us, we pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us with a spirit of generosity, that indeed all we have would belong, we would give to you, Lord, in your service. Lord, that we would lay down our lives before you today. Lord, we choose to say that we don't own everything we have, but Lord, we are just stewards. Release generosity in us, Lord, we pray in every way that we might bring blessing to this community, to our nation and to the world today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.